He wasn't kidding when he said I would be up quick. Here I am. All right, I've got some India clothes on today. Uh, we are celebrating missions today. And I'm going to invite the kids to come down right away. If you are part of our children's church ministry, why don't you come on down this way? Hey, kids, this way, this way, down here. You're going to come down here. I'm not scary. Why don't you come down here and sit down for a minute? Yeah, we get to come down here and sit. I'm going to come down here and stand. So oftentimes when I travel, I like to bring a gift back for children to remind them of what God is doing in the world. And so recently I was out South, South Africa and Uganda. And kids, I want you to turn around and look at this because there are many. Is this working here? Whoops. There's my host right there. Uh, back one slide. That's my host, Emmanuel. And he is actually from Uganda, lives in South Africa, so he does this ministry in Uganda. And then let's go to the next slide. We can see some children here. Children, look at those beautiful-looking kids there. I fell in love with that guy in the orange shirt. That's a contagious smile. And we can go on to the next slide and see the children there. There's a whole gathering of them. This is on the eastern side of Uganda. And many of these children right here, if you guys can believe this or not, have never seen a white man before. And so I was a white man that they could see and know what they want to do. They'd want to touch me. And they would want to play with the hairs on my arm. Touch the hairs on my arm right there. Yeah, see, they would love to rub those hairs on my arm. They'd want to touch the hair on my head because I was very strange looking to them. And so if we can go to the next slide. This is, is this maybe not on? I don't know. Beautiful little girl. Let's go to the next slide. And you can see... Another beautiful young boy, just beautiful. I think there's another one even, or is that it? There we go right there. Uh, yes, there, yeah, there can be dirty um, all over those fingers right there. That's what wanted to touch me over and over and over again. <laughs> and so I had hand sanitizers with me, and I tried to pull those out at strategic times. Is that the last slide of the children? There's... Oh, and so there's a beautiful young lady that was actually being adopted. So she's back in the States now. And a couple in our family over at Grace adopted her. And then I still don't think I'm working here. Is there one more, you said? Beautiful. So pray for South Africa and Uganda. One of the things I found there is expository preaching is unheard of. And so I began to realize that the conferences I was at, probably half of the people there were pastors. And as I worked my way through a biblical text, they were just in awe about how you could understand what God's Word says. They said, wow, you just explained this to us so well. How do we do this? And so they wanted me to come back and start a Bible college and come, you know, twice a year and train them, which I'm not going to do. Um, but also, I use that to my advantage. Prosperity theology is really strong there. Come to God, come to Jesus, and everything in your life becomes ultimately everything better. You get money, you get a job, all your problems go away. And so, because they loved expository preaching, I actually took advantage of that time and gave them not a theology of prosperity, but a theology of the cross. And it was interesting to watch their eyes come alive when they realized what the Bible taught about this and... To hear them say, now that is a message that actually enters my life, unlike any other message I've heard before. And so they found that the theology of the cross actually was very beneficial to them because that's their everyday world that they live in. And so we can be praying for Uganda and South Africa. Who up here is really responsible? Raise your hand if you're really responsible. Is there anyone up here who's obedient? <laughs> All right, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead me. You look responsible. So I want you to take this right here. See, how much is this? A thousand dollars. Whoa! That's actually only 30 cents, but I want you to take that back to Mrs. Janney right over here, and I'm going to give all of you one of those dollars and one of those coins, and this is what I want you to do. So your parents are listening. I want you, when you look at that money, to pray for some of these kids in Uganda. Can you do that? Yeah. What do you think? Some of these kids don't know Jesus, and they need to know about Jesus, so pray for the kids of Uganda. Is that fair? 
All right, we'll let you all run on somewhere else and become more obedient as well and responsible. <laughs> all right, you can go on to Children's Church. We have a number of booths that are set up back there, and I hope that you took advantage of that time uh, before the service. They'll still be available after the service where you can learn more about what God is doing in the world. There's some amazing uh, ministries over there. I have India clothes on, and there's an India ministry over there that Redemption Hill has been a part of, and so you might want to learn about that. The door on India is closing um, I was supposed to be, I'm going to Thailand on Saturday. We were supposed to go to India, and so many people were having difficulty getting a visa into the country that we actually had to move it to Bangkok. Uh, fortunately, I have a 10-year visa. I think I have seven years left on that. But there are more unreached people groups in India than any other nation in the world. So it's very strategic what this school is doing, and then other missionaries, I think the Daltons I heard are having some kind of uh, ministry in India as well. Very strategic what's going on there to equip the people of India to reach the unpeople, unreached people groups of their particular nation. In your bulletin, you see this right here? It's in there on the wrong Sunday. So if you could stick this in your Bible somewhere. We're, we're going to refer to this on November 6th. November 6th. So however many weeks that is away from now, um, that was the request for November 6th. Somehow it got in this week. So if you could stick that in your Bible so you would have that on that Sunday, we wouldn't have to reprint these again. But November 6th is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It just so happens, thanks be to God, that we'll be in Luke 11, 1 through whatever, I think 14 on that day, which is a message on prayer. And so we're going to be using these on that particular morning just as a focus. I don't want all of our focus to be on the persecuted church because we all need to be growing in our own prayer lives as well. Uh, but we'll be focused on that on that day. So just slide it in your Bible somewhere and then we can use that at that time. All right, I left my cell phone in the car and I don't have any idea what time it is. Someone help me out. Give me something that I can know what time. Oh, right there, 1028. I'm locked in. That would be helpful for me. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 24. By the way, Esther, are you here? Esther is right over. Esther, are you the one primarily responsible, totally responsible for all these tables over here? But you did the organization of all of this. Thank you so much. Uh, for helping us with all of that. And for those of you who are with us here today, who are part of the tables back there, and either, either from the Whitt Whittier Hills campus or even uptown, I don't know where everybody's from, or even from our church here, um, thanks for all the help that you are giving us in the, the labor so that we can get our eyes on the world. Luke chapter 10 is actually a passage about Jesus sending people out. And we are part of that long history. So let me read these verses for us. I want to read all of them. I really do believe that what God's Word says is far more important than anything I could ever say. And so it's important for us to take the time to read through what we're going to be looking at this morning and let God work in that way. Let me read this passage. Chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72. Now, some of your translations might say 70. Just work with me on this. 70 or 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. 
But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the, day, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your word and all that it teaches us. Lord, we come before you today a needy people, as we are thinking about the needs of the world, we know we have our own needs as well. But Lord, foremost of all, we want to thank you that someone shared the message of the gospel with us. And I pray today that you would give us great joy in that and that you might use that as a catalyst for us to turn toward others and also proclaim the good news of the message of the gospel. Lord, we pray through the ministries of this church, both here and around the world, that increasingly we would see the gates of hell kicked down and people coming to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we just pray that you would be moving powerfully, even though all odds seem to be against us, that we would put our faith and trust in you and we would believe in the power of the gospel. So Lord, help us with this passage this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Joe reminded us of worship. I enjoyed so much listening to that sermon because I felt like it was actually an act of worship to listen to it. And he brought out that ultimately our greatest reason for worship is founded in the most precious gift of Jesus Christ. That's where worship begins and that's where it will continue for us. The gift of restored relationship with God the Father through the work of Jesus is our ultimate reason to respond in worship. That is why we continue to observe the Lord's Supper. That is why we need to rehearse the gospel to us over and over. That is why the discipline of actually telling others about Jesus stirs something inside of us that should be leading to a response of worship. There's something beautiful about that. Now, I want you to notice my title for today. You know the song, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That God Would Save a Wretch Like Me? Well, how about this? Amazing Love, How Can It Be That I Would Keep It All For Me? You see, last week we looked at this particular point right here. I'm still not certain this is working. Because of Jesus, our lives should evidence the celebration of worship. See, it's one thing to come here. And take the songs that we sing and, and feel a sense of worship and to experience worship. The message of Jesus, our lives should evidence the celebration of worship, but also the celebration of proclamation. 
And I want to put the word celebration in front of that. I don't want to say, ah, the mundane giving of the gospel. No, this is celebration. In the same way that we say, blessed be the name of the Lord, and we sing songs of praise here, as we go to wherever it is that we go throughout the week, we can celebrate the proclamation of who Jesus is. And we really do need an awakening of this in the church today. So a couple of weeks ago, I gave you these gospel tracks, and, and I just wonder what God is doing through that track. Maybe some of you is collecting dust. Maybe some of you took that bold step and gave it to someone. That is the word of God. That is the power of the gospel. That will draw people to him. And so I want to encourage you to continue to take those out. Now, Joni and I on Friday got back from New England, and we were looking at the fall colors and so this is, I mean, we were there at the absolute peak. It was beautiful. This is up in the White Mountains. And then, so you see that picture right there. And when you see that, just listen to Joni saying, Oh, Dave, look! Look at that! Okay, so I looked at that. I mean, that's beautiful. It's something to look at. And Joni wants to proclaim that. She, she wants to make sure that my eyes go there. Now, at this next picture... Imagine Joni again. Dave, look. See, I'm trying to drive down the road. Look, Dave. And so we look at that, and you can see the beautiful colors. You know why Joni would look at that and be in awe, and then she would want to turn to someone else and say, look at this. Look at this. And then look at this next one right here. Next slide, if we could, because I'm not working here. And so, no, go back one slide. We, we went, went too far. Now, there it is again. And you can imagine Joni again saying, look, Dave, that's beautiful. So my eyes go there and I look. Now let's go to the next slide. In the next slide, what do you see in common about each one of these pictures? Fall colors. It's all the same. You can look at that picture and that picture and that picture. It's all the same. But notice... Joni has a response that I think really we need to connect to the gospel. Jesus should not become commonplace for us. The gospel should not become, well, everybody knows that. I mean, he died, buried, rose again. I mean, that's the way it is. No, this ought to stir something in us where we go, wow, look at Jesus. Hey, everyone, look, look. I mean, imagine this is Jesus right now. Look, I want to show you Jesus. There ought to be a celebration, a proclamation. In the same way that Joni drove down the road, Dave, look! Oh, Dave, look! Oh, Dave, look! And i got to admit, about the third day of that, I was just wanting to stop somewhere and get a cup of coffee and just relax while she could look, but we just kept driving. Look, Dave! Look, Dave! Look, Dave! Look, Dave! Look, Dave! How do we stir that kind of passion in our lives for Jesus? Because we have the message that everyone needs to hear and we need to take their eyes off the lies of this world and put them onto Jesus, the only hope that they have. There needs to be a celebration and proclamation. And the celebration of the proclamation of leaves comes from recognizing the beauty of it. And that's why we've got to continuously be recognizing the beauty of the gospel in our lives So in Christ, we all have something to share with others. And today we've got this missions focus, and we're we're trying to think about that. We're looking at the world today, but I also want us to consider our own world. Our focus today actually, as I've already showed you, builds on what Joe was preaching last week. The celebration of worship should lead to the celebration of worship proclamation. And it actually builds on what I was preaching on a few weeks back, that our mission, joining God's mission, begins with a ready and willing heart. We've got to be in. But it also issues from a response of gratitude for the gospel. The fact that the gospel is good news, that it has impacted our life, and it's something that we want to share for others. It is also something that grows out of the entirety of our lives. It's not something that we put into a category and then we live the rest of our lives. It is who we are. We are disciples. And what do disciples do? Disciples proclaim. 
Disciples celebrate worship, and we should celebrate proclamation as well. As we go into this passage this morning, that's what's going on. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. Now it's grown. There's a number of disciples who are around him. We see earlier in Luke where he sends out the 12, and now he sends out the 70 or the 72. This is beyond the 12. And so there's some things that we want to learn about it. But let's remind ourselves of the context. And see, remind ourselves of the, oh, you know, am I, am I doing this the wrong way? No. Okay. Where are we in Luke's account? Let's just remind ourselves, because we've been going through our core values for a number of weeks now. As we open up to chapter 10, it's been a few weeks since we've been there, but let me just remind you of some core things that are taking place. Where we are now in this gospel is Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's been gathering people. He's been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's been to the various villages around the area, but now he is on his way to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9 In verses 43 and 44, this is where we really begin to see it. The second part of verse 43 in Luke chapter 9. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He is on his way to Jerusalem. Slide down to verse 51. 51, notice what Luke is saying in his transitional statement here. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Slide down to verse 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. We are in that time in Jesus' ministry where he is just a straight focus toward the cross. And you can find that throughout the rest of the book of Luke. It's amazing how many times he builds that into his message. Jerusalem, he's on his way to Jerusalem. His face is set toward Jerusalem. It's a time of urgency. And so as Jesus is now in this particular time of his ministry with the disciples, he's he's trying to focus in on instructing them. Because what's going to happen? He's going to die He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to wander the earth for a few days, gather his disciples together, and then he's going to go back into the clouds. So his disciples need to be prepared for what is just around the corner for them. So in chapter 9, in verse 46, an argument arises among the disciples about who's the greatest. So Jesus needs to take a teaching moment and remind them it's not about being the greatest. It's about serving others. They also have this issue in verse 54 where they notice other people are doing the things of Jesus and what about, what's going on here, Lord? And the Lord reminds them, hey, we got to cooperate. Whoever's not against us is for us. And by the way, that's a message the church needs to hear. So oftentimes the church draws lines in the sand with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus says, wait a second, if they're not against us, Well, then they're for us. We're on the same team. We may have differences of opinion. We may think differently about things, but but we're moving forward together. We're, 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 We're attacking. We're moving against the kingdom of darkness together. And so Jesus is teaching something about cooperation because the early church is going to have a lot of issues that they are going to need to work through. We also see um, how to deal with rejection as well. Um, when, the, when the people do not receive, Lord, should we bring down fire from heaven? The Lord says, no. That's, that's not how we're going to deal with this. And then we see the cost and priority of discipleship as well. And so he's trying to teach them, there's a cost of following me. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to ask you to take up your own cross as well. But let's get into our passage now. Um, I want us, first of all, think about instructions for kingdom proclamation. It's interesting what happens in this particular passage. Notice that Jesus, again, is sending people ahead of himself. At the end of verse 1, he sends them to a place where he himself was about to go. These are ones who are preparing the way, actually, for the coming of Jesus. And Jesus has been doing this. It's back in chapter 9 that we see him sending out the 12 disciples as well. And so throughout his gospel, John the Baptist even was a forerunner to Jesus announcing 
that Jesus is going to come. But in verses 1 through 16, he gives some instructions. And some of these instructions are rather bizarre for us to read through. Taking off your sandal and shaking off the dust and proclaiming. I mean, imagine you doing that in your workplace. The kingdom of, the kingdom of God has come near. But you reject it and you shake off your shoe and walk out of the office. I mean, so this is, we've got to translate this into our world. And we need to understand, well, what is it that we can pull out of here that actually speaks to our world and what we need to be doing as we celebrate proclamation? And so I want to pull some of these items out for us today as we think through it. And so the first one is found in verses 1 and 2. The mission is not reserved for the chosen few. We see that very clearly. This is not just about Jesus, chapter 9. He's already sent out 12. It's not just about Jesus and the 12. Now he sends out 70 or 72. There's a, there's a Greek issue problem there, manuscript issue as to whether it's 70 or 72. Now he sends out those. And eventually this is going to be passed on to the early church. And it's been passed down. It's been a tremendous chain where someone has passed it down from the disciples to the early church. It's just kept on moving, kept on moving until someone came to you and explained to you the gospel. My dad grew up in a home that was marginally Christian, but he had a man come into his life that explained the gospel to him. My dad got saved. And then my dad explained that to each one of his boys, and we got saved. And then God has allowed me to now turn to my children and to many others and explain the gospel to them, and they've gotten saved. I mean, this is not about the chosen few. This is not about church leadership. We hire people to do these kinds of things. This is about us. All of you in this room right now are a part of this charge given by Jesus to go and proclaim Every one of us are given that. And we can do that in lots of different ways. I see Ben Orr sitting up here with his ministry with athletes and doing these baseball camps and seeing these kids come. They're paying money to learn about baseball instruction and then boom, he takes the time and he gives them the gospel throughout the week and kids get saved. That's one way to do it. Others can be over coffee, whatever it is. It's not the chosen few who are a part of doing this. This is for everyone to be a part of this. And notice what Jesus even says to those who are going out in verse 2. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. As we go and as we proclaim, we pray and ask God to send others. And we might even be a catalyst for that in a congregation like this where we might encourage others. Can I encourage you to do something? Can I encourage you at some point in time to turn to someone and say, hey, can you tell me, what'd you do with the track? What'd you, what'd you do with it? And then you get some shame. And, oh, man, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's okay. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would use you. Let's pray that God could use that track. Or maybe you'll hear some exciting stories about what God is doing. But it's not just about the chosen few. It's about all of us. Christine, where's Christine doing the Good News Bible Club? Christine, doing the Good News Bible Club. 19 showed up, right? She gave that as a prayer request. And did anyone get saved? One little boy, possibly, yes, got saved. But what, what's going on? The gospel's going out. And people are going to respond to that. And that's Christine doing what she believes God has called her to do. And there's others of you. What has God called you to do to be a part of what's going on here? So it's not reserved for the chosen few. We also see next in verses... I know what it is, but I want you to see it. Can you help me out? It's not going. The mission will not be easy is what we see in verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, that's not comforting, is it? I don't find that as very exciting. It's like, wow, thanks. Why make me a lamb when I'm going out with wolves? Why not make me a lion so I can go out with the wolves? Like, I dare you, I'll tear you to shreds. I'm a lion. No, you're lambs going out there in the midst of wolves. It's not going to be easy. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23, you can write that down, we aren't going to turn there, actually takes this as the lead verse and then expands it. When they take you to the synagogues and they, and they proclaim against you falsely, whatever it might be, there's a grocery list of things that can happen. You can lose friends over sharing the gospel. People are not necessarily going to roll out the welcome mat for us to proclaim Christ. But we can see in the whole book of 1 Peter the persecution that abounded because people were taking a stand for Christ. Some of us have what I would call, I want people to like me disposition. I think probably most of us have something like that in us. We want people to like us. And so we can shy away from proclaiming the name of Christ. But the New Testament makes it clear. In the last couple of years, I've been doing a study of discipleship in the New Testament. And one thing is very clear. Disciples, disciple. That's very clear. That's not optional. It's not something you have to get a degree in. It's not something you have to become an elected church official to do. Disciples, disciple. And what, is a disciple, what does it mean to disciple? It means to point people to Jesus Christ. If someone's not saved, lead them to Christ. If someone is saved, lead them further into Christ. Disciples, disciple. And it's not going to be easy and it's not optional for us. All of us should be looking down inside of ourselves and saying, how am I taking what's been entrusted to me and passing that on to someone else actively in our lives? Not, I did that already, but how are we continuously doing that? There's a price sometimes. We're going to be looking at the persecuted church on November 6th, and I wear a bracelet. It's the I Am In campaign. In Hebrews chapter 13, it talks about praying for those who are in prison, but the, the, the letter noon in Arabic is what they spray paint on believers' houses once they identify you as a Christian. And basically it means this. You've got three options. You can return to Islam. You can flee for your life or we will murder you. That's your three options. Simply for being a follower of Christ. Look at my friend up here. I'm not going to say his name because this is being recorded. Friend from Iran. We developed a friendship because of a, some training that I did with some Iranian pastors in the nation of Armenia. They sneak them out as soon as, 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 and keep them out for a very short time so they can fly in and out under the radar and do training for them. His dad was actually martyred for being a Christian. This man right here is responsible for the network of underground churches in northern Iran. We can't even talk to each other anymore because his government knows what I'm all about. And they called him up one day and said, what is your relationship with David Talley? So the last time he contacted me, he was actually in China saying, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you anymore. We're done. It's over. But this man right here is someone, I don't know if he's still alive today, but daily he lives against the atrocities of those who follow Jesus, the things that are committed against them. Look at this next slide right here. Maybe some of you remember this happening in the last year where these believers were taken and beheaded. I mean, it's horrible. You can YouTube it. You can see it. This is the life that some people live. We're not there in the United States of America. But I will say we have an important election in front of us, a very important election in front of us for the future of those who claim to be disciples of Jesus. And we're increasingly beginning to see certain things happen in our culture. Can I encourage you, if you maintain a prayer list, somewhere on your prayer list, put my future faithfulness. We have no idea what's going to happen to us in the days ahead, but it's accelerating quickly. And there is no greater privilege. I, I really want us to hear it. There's no greater privilege for us than to walk faithfully with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even in the midst of persecution. We should all be prepared for it. Jesus said it from the very beginning. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What will we give up for Christ? Will we just fall in or will we stand firm? It's an important question for us to ask. But the next point we see here is where the Lord will provide the means and he will open up the doors of opportunity. So in verses 4 through 7, we see that Jesus ultimately says, you're going to be provided for. The laborer is worthy of his wages, and I'm going to open up these doors for you. Whenever, in verse 8, whenever you, no, we've got to drop back to verse 4 to 7. Um, whoever house, verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. 
And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon it. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking. What they provide for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. I'm going to open up doors for you. And I'm going to provide for you. The Lord is going to do that for us. Now, we aren't going from house to house and living with people while we, prepare the, while we share the gospel. But the point is this. The Lord is going to provide for you. Strength means whatever it is that you need. And he's going to open up the doors of opportunity for you to, to, today as you go and proclaim. In the Middle East today, and we've got someone from North Africa here, Kyle and his wife, and maybe others as well. In the Middle East today, this is still a strategy when you move into a Muslim area, they're, they're going to be militant against you. And so what do you do? You ask God to open up the door for a man of peace. It's still a strategy today. And if they receive you, then go into that door. And so the same thing is true in our world. Whoever it is that we hang out with, ask the Lord to open a door. Just to open a door. Make that door open, Lord, and then give me the boldness to walk through it. And the Lord will do that for you. We've got the next point that we see in this passage in verses 8 through 11. The focus that we have should be on open doors. That's our business. The Lord opens the door, we walk through it. We should allow the Lord to deal with closed doors. That's His business. We walk through what's available. Now, some people give their lives to just continuing to knock on closed doors. God bless them. If that's their calling, go for it. But ultimately, our responsibility is to walk through those open doors that are there. And so it tells us there in verses 8 through 11, whenever you enter a, a, a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and it say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, I don't suggest you actually use those words, as I was saying earlier. But what, what I think the point I'm trying to pull out is, if they close the door, that's God's business. You leave that to the Lord. Walk through those open doors that are there for you to walk through and be bold and proclaim that gospel. And ask the Lord to give you those open doors. And it's another item to put on your prayer list. Open doors. Just pray that God would make those. The next point that I think we can pull out of this passage, number five here, rejecting the kingdom message is a rejection of Jesus and consequently the person's only hope for salvation. In verses 12 through 16, we have some very powerful words here. I tell you, it will be more tolerable, more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, that's not to give us a sense of, yeah, you got it coming to you. Take that, you evil person rejecting Jesus. No, that ought to break our heart. That ought to break our heart what Jesus is saying there. When we have a friend, a loved one, a fellow person that we work with or that we serve with in some kind of capacity, and they close that door, that ought to bring a deep sadness to us. That's their only hope. That's their only hope for salvation. And Jesus then goes on in verses 13, 14, 15 and talks about different cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Verse 15, and you, Capernaum. And just cries out to them. It's very helpful for us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, there's an, there's an intro to this. And basically, this is what it says. You don't need to turn there because I got it right here. The same words, but here's Matthew's intro. Listen to this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. In other words, Jesus came in and he does all of these signs and wonders and miracles. Signs were to produce belief. Messiah, follow him. Instead, he was rejected. Look at these cities right here. When you think about Bethsaida, all the miracles that took place there. And there are just many healings, feeding of the 5,000. Look at the next city right here, Capernaum. Matthew 4, the healings of illness. I mean, just talking about multiple healings where Jesus is there and people who are blind are receiving sight. Demon possessed, demons are being cast out. They can't walk. They're being told to take up their pallet and walk. I mean, it's just amazing what happens. And then we've got the third one, 
Chorazin, there's no mention of miracles in the city, but the Matthew 11 verse 20 intro makes it very clear. Jesus did the miracles there too. Jesus says, listen, it's going to be more bearable for Sodom in that day. People who reject Jesus are rejecting their only hope. And so what do we do? We continue to proclaim the best that we can so that they can hear, so they can know who Jesus is. That's why we've got to focus on open doors that are there for us, continue to walk through them and proclaim. And we could even maybe add to this list the USA, the United States of America, where you have churches on every corner And many of them now walking away from the truth of the gospel, the good news of God's word, and becoming just religious good doers. Oh, what's it going to be like for the United States of America on that day? But we don't cash it all in. We don't just give up. We continue to celebrate proclamation and go. Verse 16 is very important for us because it makes it very clear. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Our job is proclamation. If they reject, they're rejecting Jesus, not us. Now, they may reject you in the process too. You're being sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Stuff is going to happen. But our message is Jesus. That's who we proclaim. And that's the the point. They either accept or they reject And we continue to proclaim and faithfully give people what they need to hear. Now, our third point in this passage, Jesus rejoices in our partnership. I loved meditating on this. I loved this little glimpse into Jesus' life. I'd really never spent a lot of time thinking through this right here. But we see our first point is that Jesus notes that rejoicing in our salvation should be greater than our rejoicing in our missional successes. I mean, it's very interesting what Jesus is saying here. Does the 72 come back? Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You should have seen it. And Jesus says, I did. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, this is where it goes back to our celebration of proclamation is always going to be grounded in our celebration of worship, which is grounded in what? What Joe preached on last week, the gospel. Even going back two weeks ago, our joining in God's mission requires us to be, have a gratitude for the gospel. It's always going to go back to the gospel, and that's where Jesus wants to take them. If we are getting our joy out of success or not in proclaiming proclaiming God's um, gospel to people or in the ministries that we're involved in, if that's what we're putting our hope in, then we're going to have a lot of discouragement. And Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. See, this is a progression by Satan. When Jesus went to the cross, Satan was destroyed. His doom was certain. But now as the gospel begins to progress through the world, Jesus is saying, and that doom is still taking place. In Romans, um, Paul says to the church of Romans, may God soon crush Satan under your feet. What is Romans about? It's about taking the gospel. And so as we proclaim the gospel, as we walk in faithfulness, you know what we're doing? We are treading on Satan. We are a part of the doom Because we're living for the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness being crushed. And so Jesus says, you know what? That was really cool to see Satan falling like lightning. But don't you ever forget. You put your rejoicing in the fact that your names, your names are written in heaven. Why? Because as we continue to meditate on that, as we continue to reflect on that, we were dead and he made us alive. There's not a person in this room that deserves eternity in heaven. Just think about your last week. I know the shame you can feel in the way you live. A word that you said that you shouldn't have said. Something that you looked at that you shouldn't have looked at. Something you did you shouldn't have done. But you know what? In Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, that's where you put your hope. 
you rejoice over it, you rejoice over it, you rejoice over it, you rejoice over it. And the more we rejoice over our names being written in heaven, you know what that does? There's going to be an overflow of that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to tell others about it. You're going to see Jesus afresh and you're going to proclaim his name to others. And that's why Jesus puts that emphasis there. But there's a second thing that Jesus wants us to pull out of this passage. I think this type of rejoicing is even evidenced in Jesus. Jesus seems to be overflowing with joy in this moment. I loved reading about Jesus here. In that same hour... He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understand that could be the religious leaders or those who are independent, don't see their need for the Lord, and revealed them to little children. Jesus says you've got to come to the Father as children, dependent, looking to him. He says that, uses that analogy in other places. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turns to the disciples. These men, he spent 12 years with them. I mean, three years with them, the 12 and the 70, however many have been added. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you have seen and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hebrews 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, talks about those who had walked with faith, faith and they saw from a distance these things, but, but they never were able to hold on to them. They, they, it was by faith that they looked forward to these things. I love what it says in 1 Peter Chapter 1 in verses 10 through 12 where it talks about this is amazing, this time that we live in where the gospel is clearly understood. And then at the end of that passage it says things that angels long to look into. All the heavenly hosts are looking down at what God is doing and drawing people to himself and they're whispering to one another, look at that, that wretched, dead, despicable person declared righteous. That's amazing. Did you see what God just did? Declared that person righteous. He adopted that one. He adopted Dave Talley. Angels longed to look into these things. Prophets were foreseeing these things, proclaiming these things. And now we live in this day and age. And Jesus says to the disciples, this is amazing what you guys are watching. Do you feel it's amazing what you are witnessing? Do you feel it's amazing that we are the ones upon whom the ends of the ages have come and we understand the full message of what God has done to redeem humanity? This is amazing. Amen. And Jesus says, that's got to sink into your heart because you'll be a people who will proclaim at that point. So what? Well, we need to have a ministry passion. And it's going to go back to the gospel. We can't talk about the gospel enough here. Gospel over and over and over again. It excites the Lord when he watches what's taking place with the disciples in this passage. But Jesus brings it back to the gospel. Because that's where that celebration of proclamation is going to grow out of. That's what our worship is going to grow out of. That's what proclamation is going to grow out of. And so we've got to think about the people who are in our world. Every one of us are going to walk through these doors out here. And we're going to each go into an individual world. Middle schoolers, high schoolers. You're going to be going into your middle schools and high schools. Places your parents don't go. Parents that your pastoral staff don't go. You're there. And you are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You are there to proclaim His majesty. And we need to be praying for our young people for boldness to proclaim. We've got many teachers here. You're in those schools. You're there where other people can't go. You've got all those adolescents right in your classroom. You're there to proclaim. Wherever you work, you go. So we've got tables set up here. And we're talking about people who go to other nations or into our high schools like California School Project, which is an excellent ministry, but all of us go. Every one of us, let me put it this way, every one of us could have a table set up out there. Here's my table. I work at Applebee's. Here, I'm Dave Talley. 
I'm a server at Applebee's, and I work there five days a week. I put in 25 hours, and I go there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Every one of us could have a table. Do you follow me on that? My name's Dave Talley. I'm in ninth grade. I go to Sonora High School. I feel a little awkward. I don't know what to do with the opposite sex. My mom and dad, I think, are corny. I don't know why church lasts so long, but I'm there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That all of us could have a table set up back there. And so when we think about our lives, let's look at this last slide right here. Our greatest joy should be our salvation, but this joy should find its way into an everyday celebration, a celebration in our proclamation. So if you haven't done anything with that track, do something with it. Or just forget the track. Just worship the Lord by proclaiming his name to others. And you know what will happen? You will be growing in your faith when you do that. The discipline of proclamation grows you in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you worship the Lord, it should foster a desire to proclaim his name. And as you proclaim his name, it should foster a desire to worship. Why? Because when you talk to other people about the gospel, what are you doing? You're telling about the greatest news ever. What does that result in? Worship. And as you worship him, what does that result in? It should overflow in the proclamation. And so we get back to the title of our message today. We have that last slide, Amazing Love. How can it be that I would keep it all for me? So where are you with proclamation? This isn't a time to shame anybody. Oh, woe is me. It's been 10 years since I shared the gospel. This is a time for us to say, you know what? I need to look more closely at the gospel. I need to get excited about it again. I need to realize the awe of the gospel. In the same way my wife could drive down the road, oh, Dave, look at there, look at those leaves, look at those leaves, look at those leaves. We need to have an awe of the gospel like that again so that that message can continue to be proclaimed. I'm going to have Joe come up. He's going to lead us in a song in we're going to watch the first part of the song and then we're going to join in and he's going to bring us into the song. It's sung in different languages. And why? Because the gospel is going to the nations. And I want us to realize that Jesus' name is being proclaimed around the world in various languages. And it's something to be celebrated. And then we're just going to bring the focus into English because we celebrate the Lord as well. But why don't you bow your heads for just a moment first. Joe's going to give you just a moment for you to think about what is it that the Lord wants to stir in you right now. We, I believe that the Holy Spirit works in a time like this. And I pray that the good desires in your heart right now will find fruit. That's what Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. Whatever it is, if if you're right now feeling a sense of boldness to talk to your neighbor like you've never felt before, God, I pray that you would give that boldness and that that good desire would find fruit. Lord, I pray all around this room, whatever those good desires are, that you would let those good desires find light of day to the glory of your great name for the joy that we all receive from proclaiming who you are until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.